Welcome to Podcasts on Demand, a continuing medical education activity. This activity includes the most recent and current clinical data presented by leading experts. If you are seeking continuing education credit, please review the disclosures and the requirements for a successful completion of the activity prior to listening to the podcast. A link is found in the podcast description that can direct you to this information. Welcome to episode two of two of the Expert Insights on PSA, How Do Personalized Treatment Options Transform Patient Outcomes podcast series. I am Dr. Philip Meese, and I am joined by Dr. April Armstrong. In this series, we provide expert interpretation of clinical data for current treatment options of psoriatic arthritis. A case presentation is discussed to help clinicians diagnose and select appropriate treatments, as well as address the significant comorbidities and complications experienced by many patients. It is important for clinicians to recognize the varied presentation of active disease, as well as their implications for clinical management. And these will be discussed within the case presentation. In the next uh, 10 minutes or so, Dr. Meese and I are going to go over two cases with you, and then I'll have Dr. Meese start first. Okay, thanks, April. Let's take a look at our first patient. So this uh, is a a woman uh, who came to me when she was 39 uh, and uh, working as a uh, uh, in a field of research biology. She had the onset of psoriasis in her late teens and uh, on on several occasions, as I've gotten to know her, she's really unloaded about uh, the emotional uh, impact that that had on her. You know, bar- embarrassed about going to the swimming pool, embarrassed about uh, showing her t- skin uh, to anyone, uh, and having significant itch. She had onset of PSA in her late twenties, about ten years after she developed psoriasis. And initially it was oligoarticular, uh, just involving the left knee and a few toe joints. But the really troublesome feature was her right heel. And she described to me that when she would come out of the subway uh, in the place where she was uh, in uh, a postdoc, she would um, ha- uh, have to call a taxi to take her the three blocks to her lab. Uh, and, uh, and this is on days that she wasn't wearing an orthopedic book boot or using crutches. What a bummer. She was initially treated with NSAIDs and the orthopedic boot that I mentioned uh, and referred to a rheumatologist who initiated methotrexate therapy. So um, th- uh, over the years, uh, she's managed to have a modest a little bit of control with the methotrexate, but it was never uh, really uh, fully helpful. Uh, she was uh, at, at one point on TNF inhibitor, uh, which helped for a while, but then uh, she lost uh, uh, that, that effect. And so uh, when she was ultimately came to me soon after uh, going to work uh, in Seattle, uh, she had was having uh, episodic flares of arthritis in her fingers, knees, toe joints. Uh, she had some uh, one one occasional case of uveitis. Uh, she was really hobbled though by this recurring Achilles enthesitis. Uh, uh, which made it uh, difficult for her to be as active as she wanted to be with her toddler at home. So here are is a uh, 
assessment tool we use in the clinic as well as in clinical trials uh, to assess for uh, enthesitis. This is known as the Leeds Enthesitis Index. And we press with a certain amount of pressure at the lateral of the condyle where the tendon is inserting into bone there, the medial condyle of the femur and the Achilles tendon insertion. And then uh, determine, does, is this pain, uh, patient painful or not? And oftentimes, uh, if we get an ultrasound of that site, we can see uh, light up uh, where there is uh, increased vascularity, uh, something known as power Doppler, uh, as well as other changes in, uh, in the tendon insertion that designate a true uh, enthesitis. So uh, going back to the uh, uh, the cascade of treatments that uh, we've uh, spoken about before and looking under enthesitis, we can see that we've got a number of choices, including the TNF inhibitor uh, class that she's been on before. Uh, and uh, she's also got peripheral arthritis and psoriasis. So it's these drug cascades that we're thinking about as we're uh, thinking about potential next steps for her since she's feeling inadequately uh, addressed. So let's uh, walk through uh, the evidence for uh, each of these to have uh, benefit for enthesitis. With the PDE4 inhibitor of primalast, for the PALAS studies, there was uh, benefit using another uh, enthesitis instrument known as the Maastricht enthesitis index. The JAK inhibitors, the other oral uh, type of medication, both tofacitinib and upadacitinib, have shown good results uh, uh, overall uh, in the um, in the uh, uh, treatment programs. There's sometimes some wearables where you won't see statistical significance in one trial or another, but overall the, uh, uh, the uh, results have been positive. And here uh, is data uh, with uh, several different uh, agents, um, adalimumab, for example, ustekinumab, the IL-1223 inhibitor, secukinumab in both its 150 and 300 milligram uh, monthly doses, uh, as well as the other IL-17 inhibitor, ixekizumab, and on the far right, uh, guzelkumab, which is an IL-23 inhibitor. And we're seeing rates of, of resolution over the course of the placebo-controlled uh, phase of the trial in uh, uh, slightly over 40% of patients. This is data uh, more granular detail with secukinumab, uh, showing uh, the that separation from placebo at week 16 in both the TNF-naive and TNF-experienced uh, populations. And then as they continue with secukinumab out to longer time points, we see more and more resolution occurring. This goes back to what I said earlier about enthesitis being a difficult-to-treat uh, domain, uh, become, partly because of reduced vascularity and continued microtrauma, uh, but eventually uh, we see this over long periods of time, more complete resolution. And this is the data uh, with guzelkumab uh, showing complete resolution. Uh, again, uh, slightly better rates as we uh, look at, lo at longer time points. What did our patient do? She looked at the totality of this data, <laughs> and believe me, she's a scientist, so she was looking in detail at all the, all of the, the the PDFs of the of the various treatment trials, and she ended up uh, going with secukinumab. She liked that that data, that longer term data that showed uh, uh, really almost complete resolution of uh, enthesitis. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and she also liked the overall efficacy rates in arthritis, psoriasis, and the relatively good safety profile. 
Uh, so at the at the six-month mark after switching to secukinumab, her various domains are, are well controlled and she's had no infectious events. April, to you. Yes, great. Excellent. In the remaining time, I'm going to talk about um, very quickly a second case of skin on fire with arthralgia. So this is a patient who had come to me August 1st, 2022. As you can see, he is essentially completely covered, extremely uncomfortable. He has total body erythroderma, and he also reported some uh, chills, very, very pruritic, and complaining of burning sensation on his skin. So his skin really felt like literally on fire. Um, there, here are his legs. You see some desquamation uh, diffusely, and he was very unhappy um, who would be, right? And then also you notice that his nail, he said that these are not his normal nails. Uh, his nails were also abnormal here. And when we did a laboratory workup here, um, you know, he had uh, a bit of leukocytosis um, and some abnormal liver uh, enzymes were elevated and a number of different uh, other abnormalities. Um, initially, uh, um, denied joint pain, but later developed uh, a joint pain. And then this is his timeline. I just want to point out when he presented to me, it was actually August, but he started in March actually when he started having this. So imagine living with this rash for, for so many months. So he was very miserable. He initially uh, got prednisone 60 milligrams every day. Um, and then people tried him on dupilumab that didn't work. Uh, prednisone was weaned to 40 milligrams, but then he was uh, placed on cyclosporin. He didn't tolerate that due to renal issues and then put on mycophenolate mofetil. And then he saw a colleague in mind for a lymphoma workup, which was negative. They stopped the dupilumab and then came to our psoriasis clinic, to the clinic. And uh, all right, let's see, what is your diagnosis? So the options are atopic dermatitis, uh, erythrodermic psoriasis with diffuse arthralgia, mycosis fungoides, or secondary syphilis. The uh, answer, 100% uh, of you have gotten it so far, is B, and you would be correct. So this is... Um, erythrodermic psoriasis. We, we biopsied this. This patient was biopsied. So you see this pretty classic kind of uh, biopsy here uh, of um, psoriasis, you know, elongation of the reedy ridges, perikeratosis. And so this is what we diagnose him with, uh, erythrodermic psoriasis with diffuse arthralgia. Um, so this is relatively rare, but, can, uh, but when it's present, uh, patients are, are oftentimes acutely ill in the acute form and, uh, um, and they are systemically ill. They can be accompanied with the symptoms of fever, chills, uh, fatigue, dehydration, and so forth. And now another question for the audience, since you did so well. At, pres at presentation, the question is, the, the patient was on prednisone and mycophenolate mofetil. What would your treatment plan include? Um, and so the, here are the choices. Continue current therapy, which is continuing prednisone and mycophenolate mofetil, or start him on TNF inhibitors while weaning the current therapy or start him on IL-17 inhibitor or starting him on a PDE4 inhibitor and wean the therapies. So we have actually a number of those choices. I think all of those can be possible choices um, as per the GRAPA recommendations. What we did is um, we, uh, my goal was to wean him off of prednisone uh, 
as well as mycophenolate mofetil. Uh, so prednisone first and then mycophenolate mofetil. So I started him on IL-17 inhibitor. And then we did monthly checkups. And then here are the biologics uh, on, on how they act uh, in terms of uh, where they act. And uh, here, secukinumab and excukizumab are, are two uh, IL-17 inhibitors that has been around uh, for a very long period of time and they inhibit IL-17A. Um, and they have both good psoriasis coverage as well as joint coverage. And importantly, they also have data on radiographic progression of halting radiographic uh, progression, which is shown in the execuzumab trials here, and then secukinumab studies here showing uh, the prevention or retardation of the radio radiographic prog progression, uh, which is something I think that I think resonates uh, with both the dermatologists as well as rheumatologists. With regards to treatment of nail disease, you remember he also had nail disease. Here is a network meta-analysis uh, that have shown that our, our IL-17 inhibitors are quite good in terms of treating that as well. And um, here is our 60-year-old um, man, uh, three months follow-up. So you can see he's already a lot better. And uh, um, and he's uh, what you see here is that the, the nail disease actually in three months, this is an amazing example of half of the nail is, is, is better here. And the laboratory workup is also being normalized. Everything numbers came down. But I still want to wean him off of Michael Fennelly Moffatil. And he wasn't completely better. I could wait, but he really wanted to have some kind of dose as some kind of additional treatment. So I started him on Ducravastitinib with the goal of weaning him off of Michael Fennelly Moffatil. And this is him in six months. So he was much happier. Uh, he had been coming to me with his wife every month, but then um, a six-month visit, his wife stopped showing up. And that's when I know that he is feeling great <laughs> um, in, in that he didn't need his wife there anymore. Um, not, not that because of his wife is not there. <laughs> and uh, um, as you can see here, legs and, uh, um, and the fingers, and then here, just as a comparison, before and after uh, for this man. And then here's before and after. And mm. one of the things most excited about is that he got his hair back. So that was, he was very excited about that. Wow. We have just a few questions. I thought we can have a lightning round to, uh, to address this. Um, so it's in our Q&A here. Number one is that, uh, is it possible to have the other way around in terms of having uh, bad arthritis, psoriatic arthritis first and then get a onset of skin uh, manifestations later? Yes, it is. About 10% of the patients, um, well, depending on the study, 5 to 10% of the patients may have joint disease first uh, before skin disease. And that's when I actually, that's when I get uh, referrals from uh, when they start to get skin disease. Sometimes I get uh, patients refer to my clinic to see, hey, is this psoriasis? to help uh, clench the diagnosis. And the next question, uh, probably for Dr. Meese. Uh, what, about what about a person who yeah. displays severe ulnar deviation of fingertips, but is rheumatoid factor negative? So this one actually, um, let's pretend that they didn't yet have psoriasis uh, and they had bad fingertips, meaning distal interphalangeal joint involvement or seronegative for rheumatoid factor and did, uh, did not yet have any skin psoriasis, I'd be really thinking about the possibility that this was psoriatic arthritis. But, but at the moment, I wouldn't be able to say. I'd probably say 
undifferentiated inflammatory arthritis, and then I would wait. And it could be a year, two years, but then if they develop skin patches, then I'm, I'm going to be um, thinking ultimately that this represents psoriatic arthritis. And the last question we have is a general one about uh, what kind of blood test do we do for rheumatoid arthritis? And for that one, uh, we use rheumatoid factor, CCP antibody, Fed rate and CRP. Those are the most commonly used uh, blood tests that we will use, although not all patients are going to be seropositive for rheumatoid factor or, C or, or CCP, and not all patients will have um, evidence of elevation of acute phase reactants. Great. Wonderful. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Meese, uh, for uh, a wonderful time. I, I had a great time as usual uh, with this discussion, and I hope our audience also took away a lot of good pearls from our presentation. And as a reminder for our audience members, please check out the new ppcme.com mobile app where you can download this um, QR code below to download the app and you will discover uh, all sorts of wonderful resources there. And with that, I'm gonna uh, turn the podium back to the organizers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Expert Insights on PSA. How do personalized treatment options transform patient outcomes? We hope you found this podcast useful and educational. To receive continuing education credit and to download your printable certificate, please go to the activity page at practice cme.com to complete the post-test and evaluation to receive continuing education credit.